the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. That the Most High God has done for me, has done for me. Now we know what God's going to do to this guy, don't we already? Those of us who are believers, those of us who are... How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. God's kingdom endures. I can see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues in his teaching series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. How many times have we heard the saying, that pride comes before destruction? You know, that, that is, that's in the Proverbs, right? And... Uh, Today's message is entitled just that, Pride Comes Before Destruction. The subtitle is Heaven Rules. It's part of our larger series on Daniel. And the writer of Proverbs does tell us indeed that pride comes before destruction. Another rendering of that, another translation is that pride precedes a fall. It is an inevitable reality. God hates pride, and so pride never, ever, ever goes unpunished. It's like a natural law. It's like the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. And when you elevate yourself, when you exalt yourself, you will come down. The ancient Greeks called pride hubris. That word even sounds bad. Uh, C.S. Lewis writing about pride says this, pride is the great sin. There is one vice which no man is free of which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in other people, 
and of which hardly any people except for some Christians ever imagine they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault of which we are more unconscious in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, ironically, the more we dislike it in others. And it's fair to say, as C.S. Lewis just commented, that we readily see and detest pride in other people, but so often we are unaware of the noxious presence of pride in our own lives until that day of reckoning comes. And and be, be clear on this, that day of reckoning comes in one form or the other in this life but, or in the next. And it comes to all people, no matter who they are, great or small. Someone once described pride as the love that God hates. Why is that? Because pride is when we elevate ourselves in some sense, in some way, shape, or form to Godhood. Pride is the most ancient sin. Pride occurred in Satan before the fall of mankind, even before Adam and Eve. We, we read this in God's word. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the most high. There's idolatry right there in Satan. Elsewhere we read, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You were blameless in, the, blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. I cast you to the ground. Pride screams to God, judge me, discipline me, crush me. Pride comes before a fall. And at the heart of the pride is the rejection of God's sovereignty. When self-worship blinds a man or a woman to think they possess gifts and abilities and accomplishments because they are special, and unconsciously perhaps they begin to think of themselves as God. Because pridefulness is idolatry. And it's a violation of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And that includes you. And so today in our study of Daniel chapter 4, we will see a sovereign God. And that's what Daniel's all about, the sovereignty of God. We will see a sovereign God bring a prideful man low. Namely, Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to be clear again, Daniel chapter 4 is not about a prideful man. It's about the sovereignty of God. So don't miss the forest for the trees. It's about the rule and reign of God over the affairs of men and women and kings and kingdoms. Now Nebuchadnezzar's case is unique. God singles him out. God comes after Nebuchadnezzar. And it's really... Incredible when you think about it because Nebuchadnezzar had a special knowledge of God. I mean, this great king, he encountered God when a Jewish hostage came to him and not only interpreted his dream, but told him the dream before he interpreted it. This led to the king bowing down and bestowing gifts on this young man and his friends, recognizing that their God was a different God, a God above the gods. And then three or four years later, 
after this knowledge and elevating these four men, this prideful and foolish Nebuchadnezzar casts three of them, three of them into a fiery furnace for not bowing down before him and worshiping him. And then Nebuchadnezzar saw their God intervene and preserve them. So miraculous was their presentation as Jesse taught us about that their clothes were not smelling of smoke, their hairs were not singed, there was no damage. And to commemorate the occasion, Nebuchadnezzar gave this great decree, blessed be the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree... Any people or nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he wasn't ignorant of this God. Through these young men in this fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar saw the power and faithfulness of Daniel's God, their God, and he should have taken notice. But like you and I, Nebuchadnezzar is a sinful human being. And certainly he'd have, just like we do sometimes when we're confronted or we do something stupid, we have a a period of remorse and then time kind of passes and we kind of sweep it under the carpet and it falls back into the distant past and we fall forward into a season of complacency, a dangerous place to be. Why? Because God will not be ignored. He will not be mocked. And when we are prideful, we mock God. God comes after a prideful, arrogant man like Nebuchadnezzar. He comes after us all because, one, he will not be disrespected. And two, you're numbered among his elect. He loves you in a way that is sacrificially patient and he comes for you. So here we are in Daniel chapter 4, this is years and years and years later. This is within 10 years of Nebuchadnezzar's death. It's around 571 BC, about 30 years after the fiery furnace. Daniel is probably in his 50s by now. He is a long-serving servant of the king. Uh, Daniel has uh, credibility with the king he's still the head of all the wise men and the magicians and the chaldeans and all these people these counselors and what you see too here is over the years daniel has an undeniable concern for the gifted but flawed man that is nebuchadnezzar and you have to think that daniel's probably prayed for nebuchadnezzar that he would spend an eternity with god and not somewhere else he's prayed that Nebuchadnezzar would see God as he is, and in a very peculiar way, we're going to see that prayer answered. So what I want to do is break down our discussion today into four headings. The introduction, uh, Daniel chapter 4, 1 through 18. The interpretation, Daniel chapter 4, 19 through 27. Uh, the humiliation, Daniel four twenty-eight to 33. And the exaltation, Daniel 4, 34 to 37. We'll just work through the passage this way. And I'm going to talk you through it. 37 verses, I'm not going to be able to read and unpack every single verse. 
But let's begin with the introduction. And it's quite an introduction. It almost begins like an epistle in the New Testament. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He ruled the known world at that time. Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Has done for me. Now we know what God's going to do to this guy, don't we, already? Those of us who are believers, those of us who are familiar with our Bibles, what God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. God's kingdom endures. You know, this sounds almost like a doxology or a benediction. It's quite a statement for a pagan king like Nebuchadnezzar on two counts. One, what God did for him. No pagan king in those days, they call them oriental kings, would want to have his kingdom ripped from his hands, would want to be crippled mentally. But God did that for him. Nebuchadnezzar is clear on that. Also clear in Nebuchadnezzar's greeting is that who is in control? Who is the true king of the universe? Who has dominion? He says in verse 3, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar here understands that he is fleeting and God is eternal. The, the king tells us that only God's kingdom reigns and is supreme and lasts. God has dominion. God is sovereign. You know, we say that over and over here. And you hear people say, oh, well, God is sovereign. But do you really understand what that means? And we're going to see some of that here today. The king next recounts his dream and its details. And let me summarize that for you. He has this dream and there's this great tree, unparalleled on all the earth. And it grows and it expands and it reaches to the heavens and it spreads out. And in its leaves and on its limbs, the birds of the air feed and animals feed beneath it. And it provides shade and plenteous food. And it is protection and then, and then this tree, unlike any tree on earth that dominates the landscape, is cut down at heaven's command. And an angelic being says, cut it down, strip the leaves off of its limbs, break off, cut off its limbs, cut it off at the ground, but preserve its trunk. And the king awakens and he is terrified. He does not understand this dream. And he calls for all the wise men of Babylon, the Chaldeans, all these people. And nobody but nobody can interpret the dream. And eventually Daniel enters in and the relieved king sees him and is thankful and begs for his help. He does so because he knows Daniel. He knows he can trust Daniel. And he knows that Daniel is the real deal when it comes to Things like this. And in Daniel 4.18, we read this. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. The king's language suggests that he's, that he understands that all these wise men and magicians are really nothing and that this 
only this one representative of this God, this Jewish God, can help him. He still talks like a pagan, you know, about the holy power of the holy gods are in you. Nebuchadnezzar needed help. You see the beginning of his humiliation, of his humbling coming here. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on earth. And a lot of times we read about him in the Bible, we don't understand who this guy is or was. He was truly a renaissance man before there was a renaissance. He was a warrior. He was a general. He was a statesman. He was an innovator. He was an architect. The hanging gardens of Babylon is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He built that for his Persian wife. Yet, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the world, was not too big a fish for God to fry which should give us pause in our own lives because if he fried Nebuchadnezzar, he can fry us. The best of us, achievement-wise, likely pale in comparison to Nebuchadnezzar, but probably not in our own pride and in our own ways. And this ought not to be. Why? Because we're not some pagan king. We're Christians. We're sinners saved by grace. We have the whole revelation of God's word. We don't need dreamers and prophets to tell us God's word and God's will. We know it. We do less with more than a lot of our predecessors do. We're not some indigenous tribesman who's never heard of the name Jesus. So the takeaway here, I guess, is that if God can humble a monarch or a millionaire or a warrior, he can humble you and me. And if Nebuchadnezzar, after a handful of brushes with the Almighty, should have known better, what, is it, what does that say about us? Because God is sovereign. All the universe comes under his omnipresent attention and no human being not one escapes his notice a prideful king prideful pastor prideful person in a pew we are all under his scrutiny you should dwell on that a little bit we must never lose sight of this reality because god hates pride and he loves his people and so he will not leave us undisciplined uncorrected all right so from the introduction we go now to number two the interpretation so daniel hears the dream and as they say he turns white as a sheep figuratively speaking that doesn't say that in the text his you can that nebuchadnezzar can see can see that daniel is very disturbed after hearing the dream tell me the interpretation the king pleads And Daniel does. And I can only imagine being in the king's shoes. Daniel explains that the king is the tree and God is about to cut him down. The king will lose his mind. Lose his faculties. Commentators say that he suffered from lycanthropy, which is a mental illness where people think there's something like a werewolf or an animal or something like that. The king will lose his mind. He will be driven from men. And he will live outdoors like an animal, this glorious king. He'll be covered in the morning dew. He'll eat grass like an ox. And he'll be removed from power. We read this in Daniel 4, 24 to 27. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High. Now, Nebuchadnezzar probably thought he was the Most High, right? It is the, and sometimes we think we're the Most High. It is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King 
that you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling place shall be among the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you till you know. Seven years will pass till you know, till you learn that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time you know that heaven rules. So God is going to preserve the root. 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be, perhaps, a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, this is not a plan of salvation here that he's giving to the king, but he is calling the king to repentance. I mean, after all, nobody's saved by works. They're saved by faith in God. Salvation comes through a personal relationship with the living God. But he's speaking to the king on his terms. And he's saying to him that temporal judgment may be forestalled by doing the right things, king. This decree and its interpretation is a decree from the Most High. The God above all gods has decreed your insanity, O king. Your humiliation, your degradation. And also there, he talks about, and your redemption. Redemption? Yeah, in this decree, we find hope. Look for it. In the judgment here, there is hope. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules, that you confess that heaven rules, that God is sovereign. So God provides a way out. Repentance demonstrated by the acknowledgement that heaven rules over the affairs of men, not the king. Daniel describes this repentance at great personal risk to himself. Can you imagine saying this to the king? Speaking truth to power, as they call it in this way. What's in it for the king? That you may perhaps receive a lengthening of your prosperity. No guarantees. Because all sin has consequences, even if you're forgiven. The, you're, the eternal consequences of our sin, your sin and my sin, even as we're born again. Those eternal consequences are forgiven. The, the temporal consequences? No, not necessarily. You may suffer the consequences of your action. And that's what's going to happen with the king. So what are our takeaways? How do we apply this section? Well, I'd say this. If you're in Daniel's position, you have no choice but to speak the truth and do it in love as Daniel does. You know, he says, oh, king, I wish this were on your enemies. You, you have to learn from Daniel's humble grace. A lot of times we like to present the bad news in the form of the good news. We do it without grace. That's not what Daniel does. I want to share a lengthy quote with you that I shared with Foundry a while back. It was a man who uh, was asked to play the pronoun game at his workplace, and he refused to do it. And, but he, he communicates like Daniel in terms of grace and humility. And so this is what this man wrote to his boss, to those in authority over him. 
he spoke to them the way Daniel kind of spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. I appreciate the goal of mutual respect and creating a welcoming environment for everyone. My desire is to be respectful of everyone. The expectation to display my pronouns asked me to accept a premise that I can't accept, namely that my pronouns could be different than he, him. It's an ontological claim about the nature of reality, and I hold a different view. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.